Hey everyone, this is another bonus episode of Anime World Order, and this week we have an interview with the extremely interesting Michiko Ito. While I introduce Michiko during the interview, I don't think I do an adequate job, so here's a summary. Ms. Ito is a professor of Japanese studies at the University of Kansas. She's been involved in anime for many years, extending back to the original airing of such classics as Mobile Suit Gundam and Armored Trooper Votoms, and even Space Battleship Yamato. She has lectured on many different aspects of anime, including the influence and popularity of Space Battleship Yamato. She has a very wide range of interests and understands the Japanese side to anime fandom very well. With me during the interview was Tim Eldred, whom we had on in an interview in show number 14, and who is a friend of Michiko. As a side note, his graphic novel Grease Monkey just got nominated in the Best Book for Young Adults category by the American Library Association. Now, just so you know, Daryl and Clarissa were unavailable for the interview, so it's really just me. I'm really sorry about that. We also conducted the interview in a restaurant in the Anime Weekend Atlanta Hotel, so there's pretty much constant noise in the background of some light music, and intermittent cries of Marco! Polo! So, the sound quality of this piece is a little off. Anyway, Michiko is an absolute tome of knowledge about anything and everything anime, and we talked for such a long time that I only put up the first part of the interview, and I'll save the second part for a later day. Hello, this is Gerald Rathgold of Anime World Order, and today we have a very special guest. We have Ms. Michiko Ito, who is a lecturer at the University of Kansas and head of the Japanese Studies Librarian, and she has had a very long history with anime and has lectured on the subject as well, especially Space Battle Cruiser Yamato. And with us today as well is our good friend Tim Eldred, whom we had on the show, who is an expert on all things Yamato and all things Votoms. So thank you very much for the two of you to be here today. I'd like to say that uh I'm, I'm very grateful for all the work that Michiko has done for me over the years as my translator. So anyone who has seen my various Yamato or Votoms projects has seen her work in action. <laughs> She's taught me a lot, and I'm glad that we could be together again. Thank you. And just for clarification purposes, we are actually at Anime Weekend Atlanta right now, and we're currently having dinner, so it'll be a little bit more of an unusual interview. Miss Ito, mm -hmm. I understand that your history with anime actually goes back at least as far as the original uh, broadcast of the Space Battle Cruiser Yamato. Oh yes, oh yes. Was that what got you into Japanese animation originally, or were you also interested in it beforehand? No, you know, um, at that time we didn't really have anime fans or anime as uh, pop culture. I just was raised with anime because already at that time there are many anime available in Japan. We just don't say that as anime. We call it telebi manga, TV manga, or TV cartoon. Mm -hmm. So Yamato's break was that made a foundation for anime or the term anime was born after the Yamato's popularity and anime as a subculture for juvenile was started from Yamato. And uh, what is it that drew you in particular to the Space Battle Cruiser Yamato series? What is it about it that separated it in your mind from previous works, like the sports anime that was very popular at the time? That's, that's right. I think that is a space adventure because uh, I think the background is sci-fi or space. The theme of space was getting more popular perhaps, partly because Star Wars, but I don't know how Star Wars affected the popularity of Yamato, I don't know exactly, but the drama in the space was futuristic and it, the story is adventure and uh, um, let's see, time suspense thrill because uh, whether or not Yamato can make and Yamato can come back to us and each episode ends with Chikyu Mesubo Made Ato Nanichi so that was very thrilling and also the character design was very unique and maybe sophisticated I would say and I was so fond of Stasha but Stasha always appears in the ending as an image so I was so looking forward to see the real Stasha in episode 25 actually uh, she was seen a little bit in episode 23 or 24 when she was talking to Desra, but so I was so looking forward to see Stasha. And were you happy when you finally saw her? Or oh yeah, or oh yes. No, I, the image is different and the character designer Okasako has a different image or she, his drawing style is different from Matsumoto. So in a way, the Stasha 
on episode 25 is different from uh, the ending, but still she was beautiful. Oh, by the way, uh, the Stasha talking to Desra, um, the picture was done by Matsumoto Reishi. So he was the designer for her first appearance. Right. And when she later appeared in the and communicated with the crew in person, she was under a different designer. Not different designer, but character design for the Yamato series is Okasako, I think. And he was in charge of directing animation. Excellent director for the animation it was uh, for Excellent 25, Okasako draw the, the key animations. This is how you know she's an expert. <laughs> None of us can remember trivia like that. <laughs> <laughs> So you were obviously watching it on television at the time. Mm -hmm. Did you go and see the uh, premiere of the movie some years later? Yes, of course. <laughs> well, I was not the one who was standing in line at night, but I asked my father to bring me to the movie theater because I was you know, too young to go to the movie theater by myself. Mm -hmm. And when the original television series was being aired, mm -hmm. were you aware of the fandom for the Yamato series that was building up at the time? Uh, no, because the viewers rate was so low because Rino Urabangumi, the program which is aired at the same time, it was Heidi, mm -hmm. which is the uh, production of Takahata and Miyazaki. Right. So, well, we did not know who they are at that time, but Heidi was much, 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 much popular. So, well, I think Yamato is really defeated at that time. So, <laughs> originally 39 episodes were shrinked into 26 episodes. Mm -hmm. So, the, as for viewers' rate, it was so low. But for somehow, by mouth to mouth communication, how should I say? Word of Thank you. And also, the rerun made it popular gradually. But still, the fandom was not so organized. But what I remember is actually, this is what my brother told me. We called the radio station and request the opening song of Space Battle Shiamemoto. And so in a newspaper it shows a weekly best request song. And uh, Yamato was uh, first place for maybe 20 weeks or so. Mm, so 20 weeks? Wow. I think so. I, I don't have the record, but I always see Space Battleship Yamato at the top of the list. So we were not organized yet, but we were active enough to call up the radio station and request and uh, express our interest. If I remember right, there was a time when the record, the mm -hmm. single mm -hmm. of the opening and closing songs, was the only Yamato merchandise that you could get. There were no books, there were no toys or mm -hmm. model kits. Mm -hmm. And so because that music was so popular, it might have been the only thing keeping the show in people's minds until the momentum started later. You think that's true? It may be, but I think I know actually there are several small shops for children. And if you know Chibi Maruko-chan, Chibi Maruko-chan mm -hmm. always do buy shop where she can buy small things for 10 yen or 20 yen. Oh. Maybe small pictures mm -hmm. or sweets called dagashi and I used to buy Yamato cards there for 10 yen for one pack. Cards, huh? So there are something available and I believe character items are also available but that was targeted for elementary school or maybe younger. But Yamato's fun was perhaps junior high and more. So Yamato's contribution is to widen the population of uh, anime fans because anime or TV manga was regarded as a kids program, a kids junk program. Mm -hmm. And if you graduate elementary and if you go to junior high, you can't say I like anime or I like TV manga. It's too, too childish. Too embarrassing. Right. So many people graduate from anime fan or television manga fan and find something else. But there are several people, like myself or like my brother, who <laughs> couldn't do that. Mm. But Yamato was popular enough to say I like Yamato in junior high. And the, the uh, show was on the air on Sunday nights, correct? Yes, I think so. Okay. Right. And you had to wait a week between <laughs> episodes. Oh, yes. We have it so easy now. <laughs> Even That's when right. Star Blazers was on TV, it was on every day. Really? So we only had to wait one day for the next show. Oh. You had to wait a whole week. Oh, yeah. And it took six months to see the entire series. Oh, yes. What was it like? Did you count down the days until the next show? 
I think so. I don't remember exactly, and that happened when I was watching Bottom. But uh, Yamato, yes. <laughs> I actually I don't really remember how I was when I was watching Yamato first run. But when it was rerunning, I think it was five or six in the evening every day from Monday through Friday. Okay. And I have to go to how do you say shuji calligraphy lesson. I was taking calligraphy lesson, and calligraphy lesson started the same time with Yamato running. And I decided not to go to the school and keep watching Yamato. <laughs> and you know, after finishing everything, I went back to the school, and my teacher scolded me. <laughs> of course, so, he does not know why I have been so absent for a long, long time. <laughs> so, did your calligraphy suffer, or did you get good at it? <laughs> One thing that came to mind when I was actually watching Tim Eldred's uh, documentary was, as subsequent Yamato movies were coming out, they had radio specials that were done. Oh yeah. And do you remember ever listening to any of these? I did, but. I was still too young. My brother stayed all night and listened the whole story, but I couldn't. Yeah, they were much more than teasers. They were the entire story, correct? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So it was a, a long radio version of the, the entire film. Right. I think you are talking about this, uh, Saraba Uchiusen Yamato, mm -hmm. and that is one of the great promotion. They use, uh, there is a famous radio program in All Night, All Night Japan. Mm -hmm. And I think it started really, really late, maybe midnight or so. Mm -hmm. And uh, it runs until 3 or 4 in the morning. So, and what they did is to invite actors, uh, voice actors and actresses, and actually do radio drama mm -hmm. on the spot, live drama. And so, but they cut at the very end so that they are so motivated to go to see, go to movie theater and see the entire thing. Oh, so they go right up to the oh, yeah. last scene and then say you have to go to the movie to right. see the rest of the story. Right. Wow, that must have been tough to listen to then. Especially after four hours. <laughs> But it was so exciting, and I think Nishizaki was in a way genius for producing or promoting uh, Yamato. Yeah, that was something that made Yamato very different, was his style of promotion. He apparently had uh, very large promotions, including the Yamato Cruise. Do you remember anything in particular besides the uh, radio shows that come to mind? I think there are many events, but in Tokyo, I was living in Nagoya, so I don't have that experience, unfortunately. But I know by that time we have uh, anime magazines, so I could read articles on anime magazines, and so I was so envious for people in Tokyo because they could do easily and I'm living in Nagoya and I'm so young, I'm too young to go to Tokyo by myself. I really wanted to go to Tokyo. Maybe that is the reason why I went to Tokyo for university. <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to change the subject for just a moment. You mentioned to me a little while ago mm -hmm. about when you were very young and you wanted to watch anime on television, mm -hmm. your parents didn't want you to watch it. Yeah, my parents, maybe other parents thought the same thing, but they think TV anime is so childish, and so it's not something you should keep watching in elementary school, in junior high school. So, and besides, we have only one TV in our house, and the father had a right of TV. So we couldn't see what we wanted to see, so that might be the reason why I was so eager to see anime or telebi manga, because I was so suppressed. You know. <laughs> you, it seems like you really had to persevere in order to uh, become a fan. That you really had to uh, work very hard in order to uh, be able to entertain your interests. Oh yes, um, but as for Yamato, it was different because I think my father did like Yamato. He was uh, he graduated from Navy school. Okay. Uh -huh. So he likes Navy, and of course he likes Yamato. And now, battleship Yamato revived as a space battleship Yamato and saved the entire Earth. Isn't that great? So I think he was not so. He allows me to watch Yamato at least. Uh, you were actually uh, mentioning in one of your lectures that uh, mm -hmm. Yamato appealed very directly to Japanese uh, nationalism and that it emphasized kind of the ideal way of living and a male self-identity and mm -hmm. uh, a sense of a mission. And do you believe that, I guess, that uh, was one of the things that set it apart as well? Let's see, as for the nationalism, well, um, I think 
Yamato was a product of Matsumoto Reiji and Nishizaki together. And Nishizaki, I think Nishizaki wants to revive Yamato. And he had a romantic idea in the battleship who sunk and at the end of the Pacific War. And Matsumoto Reiji has his own style and he will always want to portray a man who is living. He pursues his own goal, however timid it is. But Matsumoto finds great value in a way of living as a man. So I think that combines nicely. So Yamato has a very strong drama. And as for nationalism, I think that is partly true. And although I did not realize that when I was a kid, but after watching the anime, and particularly the movie version, which was a kind of digest version. And Nishizaki, at least Nishizaki, decided to show what, how Yamato was in a Pacific War and how it was revived using a lot of time. So it shows Battleship Yamato, its tragic end. And I think there is a, an old man and a boy on a boat. And, That's right. then, and, the, and the boy says, what is this? And the old man says, uh, this is Yamato, Yamato, uh, the but, uh, battleship of men. And then, so it shows ending of Yamato sinking. And then it turns to space battleship Yamato, which is the only hope of the Earth. And so now Yamato, who just sank in vain in the Pacific War, is now the hope of the human race. So I think it does have a strong nationalism, but that's what I think now, and at that time I did not realize that point. Hmm. Alright, well our meal has arrived, <laughs> and we're going to continue talking, even with our mouths full. That's how much fun we're having. I would like to know, Michiko, mm -hmm. what your very first anime was, and what sort of shows interested you the most in the years before Yamato? I think what I remember is uh, Cyborg 009, Black and White. I am not sure it was a first run or a rerun, but I remember some parts and the other day when I saw the DVD version, I saw the one I know and uh, yeah, that is my oldest memory. But what I remember more vividly is uh, usually in the summertime, the TV station has a kind of special program in the morning and they show Toei Doga's uh, animation Toei Doga Chohen manga series uh -huh. uh, such as uh, Taiyan or the Horus or Nagagutsu uh, Haida Neko and Cyborg 009 was broadcasted repeatedly so I was very fond of that also the TV station broadcast an old anime every day from Monday through Friday in the morning so it was a special time for me so I need to wake up and I have to be in front of TV thanks to my he was not my father was not there at the time so today TV is mine so I, I kept watching every day so you had your special time oh yes yes for us our special time was always after school uh -huh. school would finish at about three in the afternoon mm -hmm. right and then we'd get home and cartoons would start at four yeah it is the same um we had a kind of golden time for kids so tv anime was after between five and six around the seven it is a family time so it's usually new story so rather than rerunning and more for the family, but sometimes they have very interesting anime. But maybe 7.30, uh, broadcasting anime at 7.30 is quite uh, late, I think. Okay. So it sounds very similar. Like the, the children's programming would happen in the early afternoon, leading into the mid-afternoon probably news programming, mm -hmm. and then family programming in, in the mm -hmm. evening. Mm -hmm. Now, did you watch subsequent Reiji Matsumoto works such as uh, Captain Harlock? Yes, I did. Um, because Matsumoto Reiji was so popular, so I did see uh, Captain Harlock and also the animation who was Matsumoto was involved as a character designer or other anime title which was produced by Nishizaki. So I knew, I know some of them. I I did watch some of them, but not as. Uh, Intrigued as uh, Yamato. Mm. 
and I was so disappointed with the Yamato series because Yamato was over with the Saraba Uchusenka Yamato. But they decided to revive and they decided to continue. And I was tired and I was so disappointed with the adults who keep creating Yamato for maybe for the money. Mm-hmm. And I eventually decided to leave Yamato in my past. Mm. Sorry. That seems like one of the, the early breaking points. The movie Saraba Yamato or Arevderchi Yamato was so emotional. A large number of fans thought that that should be the ending. And to go back and erase that ending would be to, to cheapen it, to lessen its impact. But there was also a large number of new anime fans at the time who wanted to see more Yamato who maybe hadn't been watching when the original series was on. And so that helped to make Yamato 2 very successful, lay the groundwork for the rest of the series. Now, another kind of anime that we don't hear about very often was shoujo anime, girls anime, uh -huh. from the 1970s. Hmm. Uh, so I'd like to know if you have a favorite from that time. I did like Ribbon no Kushi, and I did like some other things. But Ribbon de Fishi is also known as Princess Knight. Right. Yeah. But you know, I told you that my father had a TV right. After my father, it's my brother. So my brother has uh, the right to choose whatever he wants to see. Oh. And he is not a shoujo manga fan. Oh. <laughs> so, so that's how you were watching all the, the boy shows. I tend to. <laughs> And besides, we have another Tokusatsu, Kamen Rider or Kikaida, oh, and oh. I, I watched them with my brother. <laughs> I didn't really see Candy Candy, although it was so popular. Mm -hmm. I saw some of the rerun, but I was, thanks to my brother, I was not so fascinated with Candy Candy. <laughs> so your brother sort of trained you to become... Sci-fi fan. Uh, or a shonen fan. Right. <laughs> Although I do have to ask, Kodai or Desla? My first pick was at that time Kodai, Susumu, of course. <laughs> but I like Kodai Mamoru too. Wow. But now Desla is not so bad. <laughs> <laughs> they grow into Desla over time. <laughs> so there was a time when your TV watching was limited because your father was in control. <laughs> And then your brother was in control. Was there a time when you were in control? Or did that not happen until you left your your parents' house? Bottomless. In Nagoya, Bottomless started, I think, 5.30 or 6 in the evening. Every Saturday. So um, now we're on to Armored Trooper Votums, the best <laughs> robot anime of all time. <laughs> Even better than Gundam. <laughs> right. I've, I've laid down the gauntlet. <laughs> Coming from the man who was instrumental in its release anywhere and, in English. Uh, I missed the first uh, five episodes. Mm. Partly because I did not like the previous program, which was Dagram. And I was supposed to study hard to, well, that will tell you how old I am, so I should say. But anyway, I will have to study hard. So, For high school? <coughs> anyway. <laughs> and then. My friend told me that uh, the bottomless is really great and I just happened to have a chance to see episode 6 and I fell in love with it. You know, I did uh, listen the voice only of the first episode through the radio because I could pick up the radio. Uh, I could pick up the voice from the radio station. I, I don't know how it works, but I could listen the voice. But the first episode. So you could listen so, to the audio portion of the episode. Audio portion of the episode, <coughs> right? Over the radio. Uh huh. That's uh -huh. An, that's very interesting. Yes, and but the first episode, if you actually didn't listen to the first episode without pictures, you have no idea what's going on. <laughs> so. That's right. It's, it's very quiet in terms of dialogue. You don't hear much until about the middle of the show. You also don't get an accurate impression of the main character, Kiriko, because in the first episode, he's very excitable. Mm -hmm. It wasn't until later that he becomes a very quiet and moody character. 
he doesn't have much to say. He's, he speaks through his actions. And anyway, I saw the episode six, and then I was so fond of it. I love it so much. And maybe because I couldn't see any other uh, any other TV anime, and but at that time my father was sitting very close to TV, and he was watching TV news. I did a fight with him, and I cried. I literally cried, and I finally I got the right of channel, <laughs> sacrificing all other things. So, <laughs> but I was happy. I leave it for the Saturday. That was your victory. Right. That was when you became an adult. <laughs> now, you were mentioning in your lecture how Yamato, the style of it sort of led to Gundam. Did you uh, ever watch the original Mobile Suit Gundam in 79? Yes, I did. Because my brother loved it. Okay. <laughs> well, at that time, I was more interested and I liked more uh, Cyborg 009. That mm -hmm. was my favorite. But. I have to admit that Gundam is more toward for adults or maybe um, high teenagers, or juveniles. And um, well, although I was fond of Cyber 009, so I kind of stay away from Gundam. But I admit Gundam was great. So you you actually liked Gundam and Votoms, right? But Votoms is. Uh, for some reason, bottom is always special. Not that one. Maybe this character design or the concept or how um, the presentation, how they use um, um, bottom or AT as a weapon, as a tool rather than hero robot. Gundam is still, um, okay, before Gundam, robot is always hero, just one and only. But Gundam is still one and only, but uh, it is one of the, uh, the robots in a battlefield, although it is, mobi uh, it is a uh, test type and maybe it is special. So it is um, line between the previous robots and Gundam. So I didn't like Gundam, but still, for some reason, Bodomus is my choice. I don't know why. But my brother was so fond of Gundam, and what happened to him is, when he saw the first episode for the first time, he was so moved. He went up to his own room, and he saw the antenna outside of the house, over the roof, and he said, oh, this antenna brought me the Gundam. <laughs> Strange, isn't it? It sounds like the cross on the top of a church. The word came through the cross. <laughs> and the word comes through the antenna. And of course, this is long before cable TV. <laughs> he reacts weird, but now he is an engineer for this sound, by the way. He grew up nicely. Huh. Yoshinobu Nishizaki hit it very big with a ship in space with Yamato. Mm -hmm. And apparently it seems like you tried to recreate the same thing with Blue Noah. Did you ever see that show? Yes, I saw, but I don't remember anything. I didn't see it, but apparently I was not interested. <laughs> and he also tried to do this again with um, what seemed to be a very large-scale movie, uh, Odin. Do you remember anything yes. about Odin? Do you remember the lead-up to it? Or, and you so? know, nothing. <laughs> So apparently, see, that's why I'm thinking why Yamato was so special. Maybe because the battleship Yamato is special. So it is, um, it is still mystery. But also, yeah, the drama itself was uh, very strong and interesting. And maybe Toyota Arisne, a uh, sci-fi writer, was uh, participating in uh, Yamato, creating the concept that this battleship or the, the earthlings go to other planet to find uh, um, the, uh, the solution of the, the pollution. So that is actually um, taken from the idea of Sayuki, um, how do you say, the, uh, the, the monkey? Sayuki? Yeah. yeah. That, uh, Toyota later says in his book that the idea of going to far land, far away land to find the treasure is taken is, uh, actually from the Sayuki. Oh, you mean Goku the Monkey King? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. So, but that concept was uh, very well presented in Yamato, I think. So they couldn't just use any old ship, the iconic Yamato. See, that is the trouble. It can be... We... I can't see any other battleship which has such a heroic image 
as Yamato. Well, it's been my theory for a long time that one of the reasons Yamato was so iconic and continues to be respected so, so much is because mm -hmm. it embodied a lot of classic mythology mm -hmm. in a very simple package. There's the the need to go to a faraway land to find a boon to bring back to heal a problem. Uh, there is the defeated ship that rises up from under the earth, just as defeated heroes of old rise up to save uh, peoples who are in need. It was brought forward with and translated into new imagery. And this is exactly the same uh, thing that made Star Wars so successful. And none of us really knew about it at the time, especially children, because we'd never read any of that mythology. Well, don't forget about romance, please. About romance, of course. Of course. Well, I'm getting to that. <laughs> romance, I think, gets a bad rap now, especially in America, because when we think romance, we automatically think romance novels. Harlequins. Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's been cheated. But it, it came from a much older tradition. The root word of romance, of course, is roman, which comes from uh, European history, specifically in Italy, where many of the traditions of romantic adventure were developed. And uh, I think it was described that way from the very, the very beginning of Yamato, that it was in the category of adventure roman, or romantic adventure. <coughs> which is a term that, that uh, doesn't really register with the American ear, I think, because we have no equivalent to it. Yeah, at least we don't, we don't define it that way. Mm -hmm. It's easier for us to classify something as science fiction. Mm -hmm. So Star Wars is considered science fiction more than romantic fiction. I wish we did still have that in our lexicon, because I think it would open up new ways of thinking that are closed off to us. Right? Hmm. Interesting, Yamato is always told otoku no roman. Yamato always emphasizes otoku no roman, roman of men, and whatever it means. But it has a strong yearning for that type of story. It's always idealized. But so, roman in the US is. Not well, we just don't have a word for it. We don't have a single word that, that can describe it. True, I had a hard time translating the Japanese script whenever it says romance. Mm, because again, romance to us, or romance, means love stories right. between men and women, as opposed to adventure stories. But that's something else that I made it, that I think made it particularly successful during the 70s, because there was a great feeling of helplessness and powerlessness across the world. Because there were so many forces moving around, political and economic, were baffling at the time. Now that you uh, live in America, hmm. what were your impressions of the American fan base of Space Battle Cruiser Yamato? Actually, I have not studied that yet, so I only know Tim. But well, personally, I hope anime fans in US have a chance to see the original. Because Yamato here as a space brothers is reinterpreted or we how should I say it's like Gajira, the king of the monsters. It's not the original. It is not the same. But nonetheless, it was a great success, and of course that is the main reason to make Gajira worldly famous. I just wish, um, well, okay, as a Japanese, I want American people to see what the original was. But also, at the same time, I understand that some adaptation is necessary to make it uh, more acceptable. So I have confusing or conflicting idea about Yamato and Star Wars. Mm -hmm. Well, they are very different kinds of stories, that's for sure. Yamato, I think, is more honest in a way. It's, it's a little more <coughs> raw. I think the, uh, the best example I can give of that is that in the original show, there was real death, mm -hmm. real violence. When characters died, they were not robots, they were actual living creatures. They didn't just make it back in time. That's right. <laughs> and they couldn't be written off as automata. That was one of the decisions that was made with Star Blazers sometimes. That Whenever there was a, a death on screen that could not be hidden, 
it was later claimed that the person who died was a, a robot. The consequences of that death were erased. It was removed from the story. And I think the, the real tragedy of that is that later in the series, after the planet Gamelus is destroyed, and all the Gamelus uh, soldiers are killed by the Yamato, Kodai comes forward and he displays regret for this. He says, we should, we should have been open to them, we should have listened to them, we should have tried to communicate with them. <coughs> that victory tastes like ashes. That was his uh, I think, moment uh, where he became a, a grown man. He realized that war was not an easy thing to throw around. There are real consequences to it. Mm -hmm. And because of the editing in Star Blazers, they hadn't properly built up to that realization. They, they removed the opportunity to make that into the key story point. And, and you're right, that's something that should be seen, and it's, it's definitely absent from Star Blazers. I just remember uh, the difference or uniqueness of Japanese anime or manga. They deal with death seriously. And um, maybe in the US, cartoon or anime character is so unrealistic. So sometimes like, if you see Tom and Jerry, Tom crash into the wall, or Tom maybe sometimes, <laughs> I should say, Forever, yeah. he always revived. In a, in a, in a, in a the next in the next scene, he is alive. He is okay. Whether he was exploded, and maybe he got some bandages, but that's it. In the next scene, he is uh, fully activated. He always revives, and the death in an American cartoon is not the serious issue. Or it's cartoon, so they never die. In a, in a extreme way, but in Japanese anime or Japanese manga do accept this or do deal with this and describe this as a tragedy. That's a fascinating observation and I think uh, you can put a fine point on that by observing the different cultures of America and Japan, so, uh, specifically in the 70s and 80s. I think the amount of violent crime in America was very high then, and probably continues to be very high now. And at the same time, I think violent crime in Japan was very small. Mm, I used to agree, but I have to say something else, because now uh, Japanese manga and anime deal with this so casually, such as, um, let's see... You see, when you see the manga, contemporary manga, that sometimes a uh, depiction of death is too cruel, and that really paralyzes our sense. Really? Yeah, I, I'm afraid so. And people uh, have a paralyzed sense of death those days. And nowadays, in Japan, the crime by Teenagers is getting high or is noticed. So it's greater now than it was. It's greater and more visible, and we are very concerned. And I do not know what the cause. Mm. There may be many factors, and so it is wrong idea to make a direct link between mangas and your description of this and uh, real um, happening. But there may be something that they really do not know what the death is or they are paralyzed with the sense of death, I'm not I have a theory about that that I just thought of. We know that many of the people creating anime today were uh, fans of anime in their childhood, probably 20 years ago. And by the same token, I think uh, many of the manga artists today, the mangaka, were also manga readers 20 years ago. Uh, because in the earlier days, death was treated as a serious subject in anime and manga, perhaps because there are now anime and manga creators who grew up only seeing that in anime and manga, that they didn't take it in the, the larger message into, into consideration. You know, um, for Yamato and Gundam, the producers, the creators of these uh, works are born in and raised in uh, during the Second World War. So they actually had experience with war. 
Dante's Gautama, uh, the founder or the king or god of manga, he did experience war and also Tomino Yoshiki also did experience. Takahashi also brought up with uh, the war experience. But now the creators of anime are now much younger. The generation changed. So generation has changed already, I think, or changing. And animators who creators are people who do create anime or who do deal with war or fighting in anime, which is one of the popular themes, they actually do not know what it is. So the meaning that Japan has an Article 9 which renounce war and although we do have a self-defense force and the interpretation of Article 9 is different but at least Article 9 is backed with the idea that war is horrible, war is cruel, we should not do it again. But now post-war is almost already over and now Cold War is over too and we have to change our idea about war self-defense. And now the younger generation who did not experience war as horrible disaster are now creating anime and presenting war and self-defense. So what I am interested really is how Japanese anime presented Article 9 and self-defense or war in uh, over time from 1945 to today. It may change the monthly of Japanese or monthly day is a massive psychology. Uh -huh. mm -hmm. So if you say uh, you have a different monthly day before and after 9-11. See? Hmm. So the monthly day is kind of a social conscious, a social mass psychology. Okay. So that monthly day may be now changing and we have a different idea, different thoughts to the war, huh. to the Article 9 as well. Well, Article 9 was created by the children of the war. Mm -hmm. Would that be would that be correct? That yeah. it was well it was created by people who experienced the war, knew what it was like firsthand and took steps to prevent other generations from experiencing it. That's a very nice way to say it was in Japan, it would, they say it was forced by General MacArthur and some says uh, it was uh, also the same idea was in Japan as well. To me, the idea of renouncing war is coming from uh, Kellogg-Briand Pact of 1928. Mm -hmm. But so the idea to renounce war already existed in the, um, before the Second World War. And uh, people who brought up with the idea actually went to the Japan and uh, helped constituting, uh, uh, help creating Article 9. That's what I'm thinking. But some people think some General MacArthur forced Japan to accept that. And uh, Prime Minister Shigehara decided to take it. Uh, so actually we do not know who is uh, the person who did create or who did uh, decide to put Article 9 in Japanese constitution. <laughs> But you know, the point is um, whether who created or not is not my concern. The point is Japan accepted and uh, respected that for a long, long time. And Japanese animation also showed the respect that they always renounced war and renounced violence. Interestingly enough, they always created destruction and war. They keep destroying. You said uh, Kodai grew up with uh, admitting that we should have com communicated. But what Kodai did after is keep fighting, keep fighting. Mm -hmm. See? Mm -hmm. So he never learned. So there's a very strong conflict. But still, at least uh, uh, the Japanese um, anime, uh, people who created anime or pop culture, did try to protect the idea of Article 9. But now I do not know. The Japanese may be more realistic, and so because Article 9 is so hard to protect, so Japan has to militarize again. But so now Japan is trying to change the constitution, revised constitution. Article 9 may be changed or revised to be interpreted. I am not sure about that. But even anime, even just the pop culture, they can show the idea that war is a uh, war is bad thing, war should be renounced. We should live peacefully, we should communicate each other, we should love each other. It might be the image we easily dreamed when we were watching Yamato, but it's not anymore to me.
even pop culture, like so sub culture, like anime, has to deal with uh, security issues seriously. Mm -hmm. Yeah, actually, um, maybe only a year after 9/11, I actually ended up reading a manga mm -hmm. that uh, dealt with 9/11 directly. Mm -hmm. Which one was that? It was called Revenge of Moflan, hmm. and it was released in America by uh, Raijin Comics, and it was about these terrorists that took over a uh, plane that was landing in Tokyo. And uh, I thought it was very interesting because uh, it was so shortly after this, this incident that even though it didn't happen in Japan, it must have had some effect of, of some sort around the world. Mm -hmm and that Japan's response to it came so quickly. Well, also remember this was a pop culture response, or at least mm -hmm. it came under the umbrella of pop culture. Right. I think our pop culture was so terrified of making a misstep that it prevented any meaningful comment from being made until years later when the, the scar had begun to heal. Mm -hmm. And then we started seeing stories in comics that would reference it, or we would start seeing movies. They would slowly circle the issue until they decided it was time to make a profit again, I think. But uh, I, the only immediate pop culture response I can remember was in comics. And by their very nature, comics are very easy to produce in a short time. And so this may have been the only medium that was capable of responding quickly. But of course it was still kind of a silly response. The, both, the best they could do was show the reaction of various superheroes, like Captain America or Spider-Man or whoever, to the disaster that had just happened. That was in Marvel Comics. In DC Comics, I don't think they acknowledged it at all. Uh, I remember hearing that there was a meeting at both of the major comic book publishers deciding, do we deal with this issue? Do we make it part of our continuity? Or do we ignore it? Marvel Comics decided to incorporate it and make it part of Marvel history. Of course, then they had to explain why nobody acted to prevent it, because obviously there are characters capable of that. That may be what made DC decide not to acknowledge it at all, because in a world with Superman in it, a terrorist attack would be impossible. And I suppose that that's kind of a theme in anime, the Vietnam and all that. There were, I suppose, responses as well from the Japanese. Well, Bottoms definitely had a response to Vietnam, wouldn't you say? Um, there have been plenty of anime with war stories since the 1960s. Right. Uh, but Bottoms, I think, was the only one to depict that environment as vividly as they did. I think that's directly attributable to Ryosuke Takahashi's experiences. Nothing so good. We know from other accounts we've heard that he's very tuned into news that he reads newspapers every day and goes to them for his story ideas. Right. We know it was true of Gasaraki. Unfortunately, I think the ideas took over the story. But it would definitely be true in Bodum's because the depiction of the Cuban jungle war is so obviously a Vietnam scenario with robots. But other than that, I can't think of a single anime that directly depicted an event like that. Do you know of one? There are several war anime, such as Animentary Ketsudan, that is Decision. That was broadcasted before Yamato. Well, let's back up a little bit. I want to explain this because you just told me about it today. Animentary was a TV series, correct? Right. That was a documentary series, but it was done in anime. There were a lot of war stories depicted in there real war stories that actually happened, and some of those inspired Yamato. Mm, mm, I think I'd say the Ketsudan is uh, about the generals or commanders in the Pacific War, uh, how their decision changed the situation, how one individual decision changed the entire, entire um, battlefield, something like that. Actually, I have not seen it yet, but uh, I would like to examine how the war is uh, treated, how Japan is depicted, how the U.S. is depicted in the story. There are many, well, not many, but other stories, older ones, Zero-Sen Hayato is one of them. So I think there are some, used to, but not now, I, I'm, I'm afraid. And most of those stories reference World War II. Right. 
as opposed to Vietnam? No, Vietnam is uh, mm, we didn't participate in Vietnam War, right. so it was a little far from us. Right at that time, I think Japan was more for anti-American imperialism, or there is a big student riot or student movement. The left wing was stronger than now, so I think they focus more on social conflict at that time, such as Kamui Gaiden or Sasuke. The Shirato Sanpei deals with a class system or a very socialist idea. He deals with the idea in his manga. So, according to some books, um, the university students did read Marx on the one hand and Shirato Sanpei on the other hand. Mm. Mm. So, Marx and manga. <laughs> Marx wow. and Shirato Sanpei. <laughs> Deadly combination. <laughs> <laughs> but that was the atmosphere of the Vietnam era, Vietnam War era in Japan. What are your impressions of American family? Now that you're actually here at Anime Weekend Atlanta. And you've lived in America for several years. Right. Don't tell me. Don't ask me how many. <laughs> mm, it is interesting because it's going up, but still what I don't understand is how general this trend is. See, the trouble is uh, I see Cartoon Network broadcast in many anime, but some anime is easily cancelled. And so... I am not sure how well anime is accepted among young generations, well, not necessarily young, but American, anime, um, American people. Is anime still underground culture or uh, one of the entertainments as uh, in Japan now? I guess uh, part of our issue is that uh, we haven't really had a character like Osama Tezuka mm -hmm. who has created work for adults and children in kind of the same breath. And of course, so, the closest we have to him is Disney. Disney, right. And uh, he's obviously got a, a well-ingrained cultural influence. Everyone knows who he is, knows the style and tone of his work. Um, but uh, anime, I think, in America is far outpaced by Disney. So we can't really compare the two. Do you have a theory as to why there are conventions being held that have 25,000 kids attending all just incredibly interested in anime? <clears throat> That's why I'd like to know because, um, well, they have to have a passion and what I'm wondering is they may be still in the minority in their own school or class in the community so this may be the only place they can show their own, you know, interesting anime. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it tends to come out in a very concentrated form, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so you can imagine that in their regular lives, they're they're quite uh, either suppressed or they just don't have a peer group, and they save up all that energy for the conventions. Yeah. Although uh, an interesting point to bring up is when uh, when Star Blazers was being aired, there were efforts taken to eliminate the Japanese references in that, and uh, even though the the credits still had Japanese names in it, and nowadays. There is almost an attempt to make shows appear more Japanese, such as uh, Teen Titans, and there are even blocks on television where shows are shown with Japanese credits in, in kanji. Do you feel that that's kind of the trend that now it's being more widely accepted? Well, yes, perhaps, but um, I would like to know who are watching Teen Titans and who are watching say, Fulmetal Alchemist, are they the same population, or are they younger or older? I'd like to see more demographic data in terms of uh, American animation fans and Japanese anime fans. It's very hard to come by. The only companies that would have demographic data, I think, are, uh, are the importers who are selling it on video. They must know how many units they sell. I doubt, though, that they have a means to track age or gender, except by the response cards that they get, which is only a small percentage of all the response cards that go out. You know, if you go, I'm sorry, um, if you go to rent a video shop, you see the anime section, and so it looks like uh, anime is very popular and well accepted, but when you see actual selling volumes, how much anime 
how how much is it sold? Or okay, let's compare uh, anime one talk one famous one with uh, something Disney's. Which is sold more? Such as Sento Chihiro is uh, very famous, well established. But okay, Sento Chihiro and another Disney movie, which one sold better? Fullmetal Alchemist is popular, but Team Titans and Fullmetal Alchemist, which sells more? I mean, which is more accepted? I'd like to know. I guess my impressions have been that the American material is probably more readily accepted. Mm. And um, it's, it's marketed much better. There's yes. a lot more money behind the promotion. I believe one of the statistics that I found was uh, that the DVD, the weekend, or the first two weeks of the release of a DVD called Napoleon Dynamite sold more DVD copies than all anime that had been sold on DVD the entire year. <laughs> I would be hard-pressed to call it underground. Mm-hmm. Because uh, we now have so many, so much of it on television now. Mm-hmm. And it's a recognized style too. Anime and manga as words are much more common than mm-hmm. they used to be. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, there was a cover on New Yorker magazine, uh, a cartoon showing the brain of a college student. <laughs> and the brain was divided up into different sections like music and movies. And one of those sections was manga. Huh. It said manga. I had to blink a few times to make sure I was reading it correctly. But I, that may be the first time the word manga has appeared on the cover of a national magazine that's not read by the intended age group for manga. Huh. Uh, so I think that's a step forward. I think though we also, as, um, as Americans, have a tendency to overestimate and mm-hmm maybe feeling the, the fits and starts of that now because there was a growth period for anime on DVD. A lot of companies responded by licensing every single program they could find and uh, there was a glut of DVD product and now we're seeing the results of that. We're seeing stores that, that have more than they can sell. We're seeing import companies that have to downsize very rapidly in order to, to stay in business. I don't think that's unusual for America. I think it's just something that like, happens in the marketplace. You brought up an interesting point about manga. I understand in Japan that there is manga intended for almost every audience out there. Uh, that uh, manga in America, while the age group for the reading audience of manga is uh, widening, it's still largely read by a very tight age group. Usually it's still around the 14 to 24 year old crowd. Even works like Golgo 13, which I believe are intended for adult men, are still largely read. Uh, why do you think that Japan is so ready to have adult men read manga without any, any social stigma? Well, at least I would say that the reading manga in a, in a train is accepted, but not respected. Well, it is a popular entertainment, but if you are on the train rather than reading manga, read newspaper, you look better. Oh, so you can cover yourself. <laughs> you know, if you go to Japan and a Japanese bookstore and buy manga, they say, do you, would you like to have a cover? A cover? Cover, yeah, they usually put the cover. Whenever we buy books, they offer some kind of cover, paper cover. Uh-huh. So the advantage is if you put cover, you don't, people don't know what you are reading. So that you can hide the could cover. explain why when you remove the dust jacket, there's almost nothing on the cover. Huh. In a lot of cases, that's, uh, that's true. So even with entire anthologies produced specifically for businessmen and such, they're allowed to do it, but there still is a stigma. There still is a stigma, even in Japan? Well, um, because I have been in the US for a long time, so my impression may be different. But, well, many people do not mind reading comic or adult comic, pornographic comic in the train, which is very annoying to me. But perhaps it became more accepted after Chinmoku no Senkan. After what? After Chinmoku no Senkan, it was a silent service. Silent service. Oh, Silent by service. Kenji Kawaguchi. Right, that deals with uh, uh, security issue directly, so it was a big hit in Japan, and so then perhaps uh, the idea of reading manga in serious way or more educational or informative that might be accepted. But again, I have not been in Japan for a long time. I sometimes go back to Japan. 
but see, living in Japan and just visiting Japan temporarily are different. Kenji Kawaguchi, by the way, was the, also the uh, creator of Zipang, which we reviewed on an earlier show, and uh, deals very strictly with uh, very serious international military issues, usually. Oh, by the way, the battleship is called Yamato, too. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's another interesting factor to me that having worked in the comic book industry here, there's so little attempt to deal with real-world issues in any meaning way. They could come and go. Occasionally when there's a disaster like Katrina, there will be some attempt to acknowledge it in a comic book series. It's often an effort to raise charity money, which is respectable, of course. Um, but other than the very recent 9-11 comic, which is an adaptation of the 9-11 Commission report, I can't think of a single one that directly deals with a political issue. Facts from Sarajevo, maybe? Facts from Sarajevo. I, should, I stand corrected. I should have remembered that one. <laughs> That's pretty exceptional. The, but the fact that those things are exceptional here and mm -hmm. not exceptional in Japan uh, makes me think that we still have some catching up to do. Okay. Thank you very much, Misito, for your time. And uh, thank you very much to Meldred for your time as well. Thank you. And uh, this has been Anime World Order, and thank you for listening. So that's the first part of the Michiko Ito interview. The second part of the interview deals with a wide range of topics, including Yoi material and her impressions of current shows, which we'll leave for a later date. Next time, we'll be back to basics with a review of Lady Snowblood by myself, a review of Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex first season by Clarissa, and a review of... <laughs> by Daryl. Until then, this has been another bonus episode of Anime World Order.